any of you watch um, The Crown at all, uh, but my wife and I have been quite mad on it. And uh, <coughs> it, there's a scene in it in one of the first episodes in 1955. Uh, it's, a, it's a historic event. Um, after the death of King George, the Queen Mother, probably to help with the mourning process, uh, buys a castle in Scotland. Uh, if you, many of you have probably been there, uh, on Orkney, Caithness. Um, apparently, it was so dilapidated that the guy actually wanted to give it away. He wanted to give the, give the castle away, but the royals being royals, they paid the veritable sum of £100 and, and took the castle off them. It was falling to pieces, um, and naturally, the royals didn't, they didn't move into the castle straight away. Rather, they sent in the, the royal renovators uh, in order to make it fit for uh, a royal dwelling. And just like the building purchased by the House of Windsor in 1955, there was an inevitable change that was going to happen. So the people of God, brothers and sisters here today, you who have been purchased by Christ, by his blood, by his life and death, too are subject to change. You are, we are, uh, being made into a royal dwelling. All the mold and the mildew of our lives, all of the broken banisters, all of the bits that we need changing will change. Just as it was guaranteed that when the royals purchased that building, it was going to change, so Christ purchasing us, uh, the change is inevitable. Now, obviously, we've already changed. And we've already changed death to life. New life has come if we've put our trust in Christ as Lord, we've been born again. And yet we're not quite the finished article, uh, but one day we will be. And so the, the theme of our series really uh, is, is how do we change? How is the Lord changing us? Uh, how does sanctification happen? Um, and so this will be the first sermon in that series. Um, Open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians uh, 3.18. That will be um, the driving text today, although it will be somewhat more thematic um, than, than is usual, but that's okay. We can have, we can have thematic um, uh, Bible preaching too. Uh, so 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse 18. And it will be on the screen there as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with an ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So just a quick, let's set the stage where we are uh, in terms of uh, Bible history. So in this part, uh, Paul's writing a letter to uh, Corinth, is uh, one of his letters to Corinth. Um, and in this part of the letter, Paul's contrasting uh, the old and the new covenant. And he's laying out the greater glory that the believers in Corinth have in Christ. And Paul illustrates this by taking a, a, a historic event from Exodus. Uh, Moses is on Mount Sinai and he's receiving the law from the Lord. And so he's in the presence of Almighty God uh, and he's beholding the Lord's glory. And naturally, his, his face begins to shine. And as he comes down the, down the mountain, um, he had to veil his face because the Israelites were so scared of this glorious presence. You can read about that in Exodus 34. And so Paul takes this historic account and he contrasts it to the way that Christians in Corinth and Christians here today uh, see the glory of God. And Paul's thrust is that the Christians today, they kind of had the volume, we've got the volume turned up as it were. And verse 9 tells us how much more glorious is the ministry of the Spirit. 
Paul is saying that unlike Moses, whose glory was temporary because it faded, we have access to a glory that's permanent but also transformative. So it's not temporary but transformative. Verse 11 talks about that in our passage. And so the question really has got to be, how are we transformed then? Uh, And that brings us on to our two points in our sermon today. Number one, so God is transforming us. God is changing us through our relationship with Jesus. So by definition then, this, if it's only, uh, if our, if we're being transformed through our relationship with Jesus, then this is by definition for Christians only. So if, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, thank you so much for coming. We are so encouraged and we would continue to ask you to please keep coming, keep asking questions, keep reading God's word, keep investigating and keep asking uh, and seeking about God We've actually got a Life Explored course coming up soon, and I've got some flyers here, and if you're interested in that, please, please do make use of that. But actually, if you aren't a Christian and you're wanting God to change you, if you're wanting him to, to change these, these terrible bad habits that you have and, and these, these, um, uh, these idiosyncrasies, these kind of uh, parts of your personality uh, that you don't like, yet you're not willing to recognize that you're a sinner and you stand in, in rebellion to a holy God, then, then real change, real transformation is not going to happen. And so again, I just encourage you to trust in Jesus as Lord um, and to turn to him. That's where real change, real transformation will happen. There's, there's actually a, a prayer in the bulletin, a prayer of repentance that you can pray after the service tonight if you're wanting to do that. And, but for those of us, and many of us in here, that do trust Christ as Lord, um, I mentioned before, we've already been radically changed in a sense. You know, uh, the Bible, the imagery that the Bible uses for it is quite stark. From death to life. We were dead in our sins, we're now alive. And so we have been changed, and yet we are being transformed more and more into his image. That's the verse that we just read. We are, as we contemplate the Lord's glory, we're being transformed. Okay, then how do we contemplate the Lord's glory? Well, in the, in the context of 2 Corinthians, if you look at verse 14, it's actually only in Christ that the veil is taken away and that transformation happens. So it's only in Christ. So, okay, so what does it mean then to be in Christ? Well, this is the paradigm that the New Testament uses to describe Christians. It's, the theologians use the term union with Christ. Uh, and that's why we read earlier in the service from Ephesians one, because in those 12 verses, the phrase in Christ or in him or through whom, in 12 verses, uh, it's repeated nine times. And so it's the principle that Jesus laid out in the upper room discourse with his disciples in John 14, you in me and me in you. And it governs the whole structure of the New Testament in terms of who we are as Christians. And so let's just look at a few they're up on there already. You've got a sneak preview. That's good. They're on there. So, um, in the same way, Romans 6, count yourselves dead to sin but alive in Christ. So, in Christ, we are dead to sin but alive to God. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come and the old has gone. Every spiritual blessing in Christ has been bestowed to the believers uh, in Ephesus and here in Charlotte Chapel. He chose us in him, election in Christ. 
In him we have redemption through his blood. We have forgiveness and a, a bringing near, uh, near to God. And Paul writes again in Galatians that there's neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, slave nor free, because we're all one in Christ Jesus. And the pictures for our union, they are, they're absolutely abound within the Bible. He is the brine, br- uh, vine, we are the branches. Uh, the temple and stones. Uh, he's the head, we're the body and the members. Abide in me, Jesus says. Put on the new self, Paul says. Union with Christ is, is the reality of all the ways that the Bible pictures our human connectedness to Christ. And so a definition might be, by faith, God the Holy Spirit applies all of the finished works of Christ to us as we are spiritually united to him in his life and death and resurrection. I'll repeat that. So by faith, God the Holy Spirit applies all of the finished works of Christ to us as we are spiritually united to him in his life and death and resurrection. Sometimes in my own life, I can often think of, okay, Christ paying for my sins uh, and, and, and granting us forgiveness, earning us forgiveness. And, but the Bible's view of being in Christ is so much more vast. And not just justification, sanctification, and much more. John Owen wrote this, Jesus Christ does not only justify his saints from the guilt of sin, but he also sanctifies and washes them from the filth of sin. So being grafted into Christ spiritually and supernaturally is like having access to an eternal fountain of goodness and grace and purity. And it means that his gracious power to help us, applied to us by God's Holy Spirit, is unfathomable and pure and full of unending power. And if that's the case, then ongoing change is not just possible, but it's, it's inevitable. So just think about areas of your life that you really desire change in. Try and picture them in your mind. Maybe just choose one in your mind's eye right now. An area that you particularly struggle with and you just love to have that changed in your life. Any strength that you require to overcome that besetting sin, whatever it is, is derived from Christ's strength as he overcame sin, temptation, and death. Any area of your life that you you need purity for living in this sinful and dark world, it's derived from Christ's utterly pure life in his now resurrected and reigning um, power as he's seated on high, as it's applied to us, the church, by way of the Holy Spirit. Any patience that you need in your life, whether with young children or with a spouse or just with the world at large, that patience comes from his perfect patience in suffering. Any joy, you're struggling with joy in your life, any joy that we get is derived from that inexpressible joy that he shares with his father from eternity past and now applies to us as we're in him. So the power to change, it doesn't come from us trying harder and trying to be more organized and have a better schedule and doing better. No, it's from being rooted in him. And so the idea of this series of real change, well, change is possible because we're in him. It's always good to ask the question, you know, who are we? Who, not kind of like, 
you know, who am I, Ashley? I'm not sure who I am, but more of a, what is my identity? Because the answer of that really drives the way that we live, uh, the way that we overcome temptations and fears in our lives. You know, what's the a philosophical word is ontology. What's the, what's the ultimate being, the ultimate reality of who I am? And the Bible would say we are in Christ. We're rooted in him. And that being the case, we're transformed into his image. And that's what our text said. You know, we've got a, we've got a shared identity with Christ. I'll stick with the, the royal uh, theme at the moment. So there's a, there's a story of Queen Elizabeth and uh, Queen Mar- uh, Princess Margaret when they were children. And the Queen Mother uh, drives them around in the Royal Aston Martin to um, a friend's birthday party. And just before they get out of the car, she says, girls, look at me. Royal children means royal manners. I'm pretty sure that's a true account. Even if it's not, the principle is she is reminding those uh, royal princesses that they have an identity and that that identity should govern every aspect of their life from manners uh, to everything else that they do. And so how much more profound is it that we as believers as those in Christ should live out that identity of holiness, of purity, of righteousness. And it's not not like a positive thinking thing either. Okay, I'm in Christ. It's a a reality of being supernaturally and spiritually grafted to him by God, the Holy Spirit. And so, as I mentioned before, change is inevitable. And I think sometimes, certainly in my own life, I, I sometimes adopt an attitude of, oh, I can never change that about me. But the reality of being in Christ and what the New Testament describes us as saints, it kind of blows that out of the water. We can change. The Lord is changing us and will change us. And so as we contemplate the the Lord's glory, who he is and who we are in him, we're being transformed into his image. And don't get me wrong, this topic's far too meaty for me to just deal with in one point of, of a sermon Um, Far from it, it's going to require a reflection of years of walking with the Lord. Many of you who have been walking with him for years already and know this in much greater depth and insight. Um, But maybe there's some uh, things that we can do practically to to, to help. Uh, Number one, we can deeply reflect on the finished work of Christ. As we think about Christ in his humanity as he lived the perfectly pure life, fully obedient to his Father, um, suffered rejection uh, uh, and scorn that, that that life that died and resurrected and ascended and is now gloriously on high the power and the strength is, is applied to his people his body, the church and so as we reflect deeply on that we start to grasp what it means to, to have that power um, in our lives to overcome and to change and another thing that you can do coupled with that is you can either get a concordance um, or a, I found this helpful, going on BibleGateway.com and just typing in in Christ or in him or in whom and you'll get over a hundred different references and just really thinking about what it means to be in Christ. What does it mean uh, in terms of what is its nature being in Christ? What is the fruit that's produced by me being in Christ? What is the destiny of those who are in Christ, and it will just broaden our horizons of what it means to be united with the risen, reigning Son of God. And then lastly, just a suggestion, I, I read a book recently, and, and it is superb, uh, by Tim Chester, called Enjoying God. 
uh, and the, the chapters are really accessible and they've got practical ways in which we can start enjoying God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Um, uh, and it's really designed for, for busy mums, for, for working dads, for, for uh, singles that are really, really busy, all kinds of people. It's just totally accessible. Um, and it's taken the, the great concepts of union with Christ and communion with God and just making it accessible. So that's Enjoying God by, by Tim Chester. So unlike the fading external evidence of God's glory on the face of Moses... We, as those in Christ, we don't have an external evidence of God's glory, but we have an enduring internal evidence of God's glory as he shapes our character to be more like him. And the destination is the most exciting thing. We heard that as Matthias read it for us, that we are holy and blameless uh, to the praise of his glory. And one day we will be round the throne singing his praises, perfect in him. This is God's desire, and it's God's plan. It's God's plan from before time, so it's not going to fail. That's a great encouragement for us. Um, and our identity in Christ, it's, it's a road that we tread of an ever-increasing glory. So God changes us, number one, through our relationships with Jesus, through our relationship with Jesus. Uh, but point number two, he's also changing us uh, through our relationships with, with one another, with the church here. Uh, so Paul writes in this passage, um, verse 18, we all who with unveiled faces. So there's a plurality there. You know, one of the primary ways that God changes us is by our relationships with one another. That's why there's, there's no such thing as just me and Jesus. You know, that is not a category that the Bible has an understanding of. Um, I've heard some people say, oh, my faith is a very personal thing, you know. I don't, need, I don't need organized churches or anything like that. Um, or I don't, need, I don't need to be part of a church to believe in God. And the Bible kind of says, no, that's nonsense. Um, it doesn't even recognize that way of thinking. It's, it's actually a product of uh, self-centered, individualistic, Western kind of ideology. Um, see, the reality of believers uh, in one another's lives is so fundamental that the Bible describes us as a body, a building, and a family. The imagery that is described is really, really powerful, and not least because it's, it's indivisible. You know, what's, what's a part of the body separate from the body? If my hand is separate from my body, it's only going one way. It's going rotten and manky, and it's dead. You know, no matter how nice the hand was before it started, you know, separated from the body, it's, it's gone. And, you know, one stone on its own, no matter how impressive or big it is, it's not a building. You know, it's just a stone on its own. Um, it, John Calvin once wrote, you can't have God as your father if, you not ha if you're not having the church as your mother. Um, and with the father and the mother come all kinds of brothers and sisters and cousins uh, and all other kinds of relations. This is one another. You see, it's the church that Christ equips with varying gifts and offices and callings. And one of Christ's aims in gifting the church, one of his principal aims aside from bringing glory to the Father and to himself, is that we might be mature in Christ. God wants us to change. Uh, just flip again to Ephesians uh, chapter 4 for me. Ephesians chapter 4. And we'll go from verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service 
Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And it's the same principle that 1 Corinthians 12, as it talks, as Paul talks about the spirit who gifts gifts his church with many, many giftings. Whatever your position is on spiritual giftings, uh, we can all agree that it's for the common good. That's what 1 Corinthians 12 says. So, you know, God has designed the church and he's designed Christians in such a way that our maturity and our ability to grow in holiness and in faith is interdependence. As each one of you and me, we use our gifts to encourage, to bless, to exhort, to remind one another of who we are in Christ and what he has done for us. Um, Roll back the clock 20, 30, 40 years ago, uh, ministry um, uh, predominantly would have been uh, seen as preaching from the front and as absolutely that is, that is a good and right thing. Uh, um, but the preacher is only one part of the body. Let's say he's the mouth or something like that. Uh, and that's a very important part. But, but can you imagine a mouth trying to drag the rest of the body along in some kind of, I won't do it in that way, but you can imagine it, can't you? You know, it's not going to be very successful. No, we need the mouth as well as we need the eyes, the hands, the ears, the feet. Um, and the Bible itself is absolutely chock-a-block again, full of a more holistic approach to, to ministry. Uh, somebody mentioned uh, the mutuality of ministry. I quite like that term, the mutuality of ministry. And just think about then the one another verses that we see in Scripture, the commands in the Bible, encourage one another, exhort one another, comfort one another, train, correct, rebuke one another. We don't like that one. I'm not so keen on being rebuked, but I'm grateful for those of you that do rebuke me because I need it. Rebuke one another. We need that. And these are mutual, mutual commands uh, that each one of us, you know, are you an encourager? Use your gift of encouragement, encourage someone. Or have you been encouraged? Praise God for that. Are you seeing somebody that's not quite living up to the way that we should be doing? Be brave, rebuke them, remind them, correct them, love them. And so let's look at just four ways in which God is, is changing us through his church, through one another, through the ministry together. Uh, under listen, speak, confess, and serve. So number one, listen. Listen to God's word. You know, we've been given the gift of pastors and teachers to unpack the teaching of Christ and the apostles. And, and I think the word is so, so central here at Charlotte Chapel, and I'm so grateful for that. Um, it's so central, whether it's prayers or hymns, uh, sermons, whatever it is, the way we speak to one another, God's word is absolutely central. And so the encouragement is that we listen and apply and obey it and find joy in that. So yes, we listen to God's word, but I think one way in which we can change is if we listen more to one another. And I don't mean listen to one another above God's word. I mean listen to one another in light of God's word. As we love one another, we'll be really listening to one another, listening to our circumstances, listening to our aches and pains and encouragements and joys. I don't know whether you've ever found yourself in a conversation, probably with me, and, and as soon as someone finds a point of reference, I know that I've done this, uh, and as soon as somebody finds a point of reference of something they can say, they'll jump in and kind of start talking about themselves. And you kind of almost feel like they've not even, are they really interested in what I've got to say? 
And so I know that I've done that uh, and need to repent of that. You know, we don't want to be like that. We want to be those that have two ears and one mouth and we use them in proportion. We want to be those that listen. And as we listen compassionately and purposefully and with humility, we start to demonstrate a love for that person and for who they are. And we try to listen for what's going on in their heart because we don't always say exactly what's going on in their heart. Sometimes we kind of shroud it in, you know, Christian speak. Um, but actually, if we're listening intently, then we'll start to hear what that person's got to say and we'll be able to love them sacrificially. You see, and the more we do this, the more we're able to empathize with one another. The Lord does something supernaturally. The more that, we, that somebody opens up to us because we're listening to them and asking them the right questions and empathizing with them, we, we start to be bonded to them in a more supernatural way where we, we grow in love for them and we pray for them and they're therefore changed through that ministry. And whether they're struggling, we weep with them, or whether they're rejoicing, we, we rejoice with them. You know, as we're listening, maybe we can silently just pray that God might use us to be an encouragement or a comfort, that we might speak a word in season to this brother or sister. And as we listen, we hear and we engage, we engage with the heart, which is where real and lasting ministry takes place. So we listen, we speak. We speak the word of God to one another. That's what Ephesians 4 said. We speak the truth in love. I wonder when the service ends, do we often and only talk about work, the weather, the kids? And, and it's not a bad thing to talk about those things. God has given us those wonderful gifts and it's a good thing to talk about those things. Um, but if we do that to the, to the exclusion of talking about how good or how questionable the sermon was, uh, or how your week has been, what encouragements have you had, what battles have you faced this week? What about areas in your heart where you've just doubted things or you felt real discouragement or maybe you've seen God really work in your life this week and that could be a real blessing that somebody hears that and as we do that we remind one another of who we are in Christ of the encouragements that we have being reconciled to God by his sacrifice and we speak the truth in love to one another we remind one another of our shared identity um, and encourage each other as part of this redeemed community you know, that's one thing that a lone, uh, a lone ranger Christian can't do. You know, they've got nobody speaking into their lives. And if we're truly intentional about seeking how one another are, if we're listening, you know, God actually uses us to identify uh, areas in our lives that don't quite match up with our beliefs. Uh, and so he uses you, and, you in my life and me in your life to actually remind one another that's not quite the way Christ would have us live in order that we might change and grow in holiness and obedience and faith and love. He also uses us to identify areas of grace, to say, you are blessing me by the way I'm seeing you serve so much, the way I've seen a real change in your patience and your character. And so we identify areas where we need to change, but also evidence of grace where people have been changed already. I know for me, a, a compliment, can, it can really just take you throughout the week when someone's encouraged you. So let's, let's encourage one another. Let's speak the word of God into one another's lives. And also, if we're reading the word of God regularly, I would encourage daily throughout the week, and we've been listening to people, then God supernaturally brings people into our minds who he wants to minister that word to. And we don't even need to wait till Sunday. 
You know, we've got great technology where we can email or WhatsApp or send this encouraging word of God to your friend, to your brother, to your sister. If you don't like all that technology, you can write a letter. Royal Mail is still really good. We can do that. And you don't even need to wait till a Sunday. And the word of God can be ministered to someone's life. Thirdly, we confess. We confess. We confess our sin, our weakness, and our need for one another. I just wonder sometimes if we're quite scared to open up and confess our sins to one another through kind of a fear of seeming like we've not got it all together. Just a quick note, we have not got it all together at all, none of us. In fact, we are broken people in the hands of one who has got it all together. That's, that's the truth. Uh, and so we need to be better at opening up and just confessing, being vulnerable and just saying, I am struggling this week. How many times have we been in a conversation or a group when somebody's confessed something? That has actually encouraged you then to confess. And it's encouraged you and the Lord's actually brought something to your mind to minister into that person's life. But if we're closed, if we're not, if we're not opening and revealing ourselves, then, then the root's really never going to get dealt with. And Satan would absolutely love for the sin and the struggle that we have to remain buried and deep. Because once it's brought to the surface, once the light of God's word and once the army of God's people are brought to it, sin is suffocated and Satan no longer has the power of secrecy. So let's be good at confessing to one another. And remember, we don't have one that can't sympathize. Hebrews 2, we have one who is tempted in every way and yet without sin. And if we do fall into sin, 1 John 1, 9 tells us that we have one who is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and what? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I think it's why we go on so much about one-to-one -one accountability and small groups here because there's only so much that we can, you can do at the front. Whereas if you're in a small group, I would encourage you, by the way, if you're not part of any small group, please, please attend. And if you are part of a small group, open up. Open up in that small group. And if you're interested in finding out about growth groups, then there'll be somebody on the Connect Corner that can put you in touch with that. Be vulnerable so that God can begin to change you. But if you really can't come to a weekly meeting, and there are many people that can't do that, again, setting up something like a, a WhatsApp, a prayer triplet, um, or just having somebody uh, come and visit you would be great in order that you can open up so that you can confess, so that somebody can pray into your life and somebody that knows what's going on. And if you do want to pray on the back of anything that's been said, then please, there'll be a prayer team down here after the service. And just lastly and very quickly, uh, we serve and this is really by way of anecdote because we have touched on this here at, at Charlotte Chapel. You, you're all great at serving, <laughs> uh, getting, your, getting your hands stuck in and serving. But as we serve, as we use the gifts that Christ has already given us, Ephesians 4 says that the gifts were given to equip his people for works of service. Why? So that we might reach maturity as we use our gifts. We don't only enable the church to function. If there was no music or teas and coffees or, or ushering or lighting or sound, you know, none of this would happen. So practically it's great because the church actually functions. But uh, on a more fundamental level, actually, we're then changed. We start to, where we're, we're, we have the character of God revealed to us as we see him working through his people. And I noticed this particularly when we had Charlotte. And some of you in this church just loved us practically in such a way that I saw more of the character of God through your love um, in the ways that you served me 
So you served me, you used your gift to serve us, and I saw the character of God. And more than that, I then learned how then to serve other people through your serving me. So I was able to then bless other people. It's incredible. So as we serve one another, we then grow and we, we are shaped and we're fashioned and we're encouraged. And so if you've got a gift, you've all got gifts. Paul told us this. We've all got, we've all got gifts. We've all got charisma. Use those gifts. Find out what they are. Are they speaking gifts? Are they serving gifts? Are, they, are, you, are you multi-gifted? I'm pretty sure many of you are. Use your gifts uh, that we might be blessed, that we might honor Christ, that we might give back to him the gifts that he's given to us through our praise and our service and our use of them. And so just as I close, real change begins then when we recognize that change is possible, not because we've got it all together, not because we attend a good Bible-believing church, although I think that is imperative, and not because of anything in us, but because we are rooted in Christ, because we've got access to the life-giving well of Christ's risen, uh, resurrected, and perfect being by way of the Holy Spirit that we've been planted firmly in the divine Lord, it means that change will flow from him to us, from the roots to the fruit. And it's more than an individual thing. It's not just me and Jesus. It's a corporate reality. And so the sovereign Lord has gifted his church, and the aim of those gifts are to bless and to encourage and to grow one another into maturity until we reach the fullness of the Son of God. So let's listen to the Lord well as well as to one another. Let's speak his word in love. Let's confess our sin and let's serve using the gift that he's given us. All to the honor and glory of Christ until we meet him face to face. Let's pray.